This is Radio Maria. A very warm welcome this afternoon. And now we proudly present Credo. And today we have on for the sixth instalment, Father Nicholas Crow, OP, currently situated in Oxford. And he will be resuming his, his talk, his series on responding to God's call. Good afternoon, Father. Good afternoon. Good. Thank you for joining us again this afternoon. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And uh, we uh, look forward to hearing the first part of your talk on the Responding to God's Call, Part 6. So what I'll do is uh, hand over the airwaves to you and our dear listeners, and uh, I'll pop back in in about 15, 20 minutes, or whenever you like, for a, for a musical break. Excellent. Thank you very much. No so... Um, over the course of this series, we have we began by defining the notion of vocation as God's summons to a definite end. And we broke that down a bit further by specifying that in the primary sense, the definite end that God is calling us to is the life of heaven the vision of God in heaven, perfect charity in that vision in heaven. But in an analogous sense, in a secondary sense, we can also think of God calling us to things along the way in that journey to heaven. So we spoke about a call to the priesthood, for, for example, or the consecrated life, or the lay life. And we also talked about a call in a, a further sense, um, a, a third level, a tertiary level of the call, which is God's call for me today, the next step in my journey of discipleship, the definite end that God has in mind for me today in order to move closer to him. And we talked, that was our first two talks. And in our third talk, we spoke about the importance of the word of God in hearing that call and receiving that call. So I proposed, following the French theologian Benoît Dominique de Le Sujol, that we receive our call ordinarily, there's many ways that God can speak, but we receive that call ordinarily as a spiritual sense contained within the literal sense of the Word of God. So it's by meditating on the Word of God, studying the Word of God, listening to the Word of God in the liturgy, and listening to good preaching, that we ordinarily hear God's call. God speaks to us through his word in this ongoing dialogue that is the spiritual life. And then in the fourth and fifth talks, I began to talk about the human response. So if the way of vocation is sown is through the proclamation of the word, that word can only bear fruit if it is planted in good soil, to use the image from our Lord's parable. So what kind of soil is fruitful? We spoke in the fourth talk about the way that our nature, our nurture, um, our virtues and vices orientate us towards some things rather than others. And we drew attention to the way that our nature, our nurture and our past choices can therefore shape 
our choices and desires in the present moment. And this can be good and helpful where we are our previous history, history is orientating towards us, towards what is good. It can also be an obstacle where there's been some damage somehow in our nurture or perhaps our past choices. And of course, the damage to our nature that is original sin. And then in the fifth talk, we talked about the recreating power of grace, the way that grace orient, orientates us to heaven through the infused theological virtues of faith, hope and charity and provides us with the intrinsic principles necessary to respond freely to the promptings of the Spirit, which are needed form works of charity. So uh, this infusion of grace means that God doesn't just push us against our will or without our will, as if we were an inanimate object towards himself, that God, by his grace, breathes into us intrinsic principles of new life, which enable us to freely choose and freely live the life of the spirit, the life of grace, as beloved children of God. But what I want to do in this session is talk about how these natural factors of nature, nurture, and our own past choices, virtues, and vice intersect or relate to these supernatural factors, the theological virtues, the gifts of the spirit, and as we shall see, infused moral virtues that God breathes into us when he recreates us in grace through our baptism. When I talked about the natural layering of our moral personality, our nature, our nurture, and our virtues and vices, a, a layered image of the human person. Now, it would be a mistake to think of the theological virtues, faith, hope, and love, or the gifts of the Holy Spirit as being simply additions, new further layers, as if we were just adding a second floor to a building. It's better to think of the infusion of grace in our baptism or that we, or in confession, if we've lost um, our baptismal grace through serious sin. It's better to think of this infusion of grace as trans that came before, so that even what is natural in us is now reordered by grace and conformed to our Lord Jesus Christ and the life of heaven. Now, I know this can sound kind of abstract and overly theoretical. So, um, Think of it like this. The way, when we're watching a film, the way that the story ends changes our perception of everything that came before. So my favorite example of this is the film Titanic. The, the, that film begins 
with the hero Jack, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, winning a ticket home to the United States on the ship, the Titanic, with his friend Fabrizio in a game of poker against two men named Olaf and Sven. Now, when Jack and Fabrizio win that ticket, the first scene, they are elated. Olaf and Sven are devastated to lose the chance to go to America. If the film had ended at that moment, then we would think it was a happy ending. Jack and Fabrizio were going to America. Jack is finally going home. But of course, we know that the film, we know how the film Titanic ends. And from the perspective of the last scene, Jack sinking into the icy water, perhaps, this poker game at the very beginning takes on a rather tragic hue. For Jack and Fabrizio, this remarkable piece of luck in a card game no longer seems so wonderful. And for Olaf and Sven, losing their tickets on the Titanic no longer seems a disaster, but a miraculous escape. The ending of the story changes how we perceive the opening scene. Now, something similar is going on. Automation of our natural virtues, our natural virtues by grace. If we think that the human story ends with death, then we will understand what it means to be prudent, for example, temperate, for example, just, for example, brave, for example. We will understand what it means to be all of these things in the light of death, as death being the end of our human existence. But if by the planting of charity in our souls through faith, our horizon is stretched beyond death, so that now we hope for the beatific vision, our understanding of what it means to be prudent, just, temperate and courageous will necessarily be transformed. Think about St. Francis stripping himself, himself of the riches he inherited from his father and standing naked before the bishop. By worldly in worldly terms, this was not prudent. But once St. Francis's vision had been stretched by grace, to suddenly his whole perspective changes. To have money no longer seems great, no longer seems prudent. He would rather be poor in order to win heavenly riches. How a story ends changes the meaning of everything that comes before. The raising of our horizons to the kingdom of heaven radically reorders the Christian person in a new conformity to Christ. This is why St. Thomas calls charity 
the love infused into our souls by God, the form of the virtues. As the perfection of the will, it's charity, divine love, that directs all other virtues in, in the human person towards their ultimate end, the beatific vision. And concretely, this means that all other human virtues are only virtuous now if they have been informed, shaped, redirected by the love of God. This is in this way St. Thomas avoids a divided. It's not that we perform some acts that are only natural on the basis of natural skills and virtues and some acts that are only graced on the basis of infused virtues and gifts. Rather, everything we do is now touched by grace so that even what might seem very ordinary human acts can be gathered up into our love of God and love of neighbour. We can, as St. Teresa of Avila puts it, find God among the pots and pans because the charity infused into our soul by God reorders everything we do so that it's possible for everything we do to be part of the way that we love God and neighbour, part of the way that we make an offering of our lives to God in imitation of Jesus's self-sacrifice on the cross. Now, for some theologians, this is more or less the end of the story. John Scotus, for example, argued that this stretching of our natural virtues by charity is sufficient for the human person to reach the life of heaven. However, St Thomas Aquinas thinks that God gives us more help than that. Charity does indeed order our whole being, even and the very order that we have towards the life of God. And this is a necessary condition for attaining the life of heaven. But it's not sufficient, according to St Thomas. St Thomas thinks we, we, we still need more help than that. And so he proposes that God infuses not just theological virtues, faith, hope and love, but also natural virtues, infused versions of the natural virtues of prudence, justice, temperance, and courage. Now, why does he think that? And this is this is this is this is quite important. St. Thomas thinks that God must infuse into our souls not just the theological virtues, but these infused natural virtues, moral virtues. We can never be tempted beyond our ability to endure. So he's thinking of an example of someone who is a hardened sinner, 
or is maybe suffering from an addiction of some kind, being baptized. This person, naturally speaking, does not have the strength to resist their addiction or to resist their vices, their bad habits, whatever they may be. But on account of grace, St. Thomas thinks that they now have in their soul a God-given strength, virtue, to do what is right, to do what is right. Through the grace infused into our soul by baptism and restored when we go to confession, St. Thomas thinks it's always possible for us to live as children of the light, to live as beloved sons and daughters of God. And the fact that it's God infusing not just theological virtues, faith, hope and love, but also natural moral virtues, infused prudence, infused justice, infused temperance, infused courage, then it's possible for there to exist at the same time in our souls an infused virtue and an acquired vice. It's possible, for example, for me to have in my soul infused temperance because I'm in living in a state of grace, I've been to confession, and an acquired vice towards lust, for example, or gluttony, right? So the these things um, can, it's possible for us, St. Thomas thinks, to have contrary dispositions towards the same object at the same time, because whilst we've acquired bad habits or bad inclinations leading to bad desires through uh, our past choices and perhaps also the damage of um, our upbringing, our nurture, maybe also the, the, the seeds of the damage of original sin as well. So we can have negative dispositions on account of our sins and the sins of other people. But at the same time, we have in us the power to do what is right because of what God has done for us and what God is doing in us in grace. This means that after our conversion, we are blessed with the capacity to perform acts of charity via our infused virtues. After our conversion, we are empowered to live the, a Christ-like life through grace. But it may not necessarily be easy for us to live this life. It might even be painful at the beginning to live this life. Because at the same time, we still carry with us the damage of our sins and the sins of other people. Unhealthy inclinations because of our bad choices in the past or the effect of other people's bad choices on us, which draws us in other directions. What we need then is an ongoing apprenticeship to Christ in the spirit through which our required dispositions and our infused virtues and gifts come to align 
and we begin to experience our harmony in our desires and inclinations. And within this vision, the most important principles within us are not those acquired by human effort. The most important principles within us are those infused into our souls by the Holy Spirit. These infused virtues become the character traits by which the Spirit teaches us the way of holiness and guides us in a Christ-like life. So we're going to um, pause there um, and listen to some music for a moment. And then we're going to think a little bit more about this tension we often feel between the infused principles of grace in our souls and the acquired dispositions that we experience through our own choices and the choices of other people. Great. Thank you very much, Father Nicholas, uh, for your first half. It's always a pleasure to have you on. We have here the Hillbilly Thomas, and this is Good Tree. You can't gather grapes from a bramble bush or pick a fig from thorns. But what I like to be, oh, to be a good tree. Some fall in the rocks on the beaten path. Some sink into rich soil from a tiny seed. Grows a good tree like a cedar high and mustard white, where all of the birds of the air can hide. Find rest. Oh, a good tree. The beetle bites, the black rat strikes, the weevil eats from the inside. You have your enemies. Oh, Full of sad 
is Radio Maria. Very warm welcome back to Just Life. That was Good Tree by the Hillbilly Thomists. And you've been listening this afternoon to Credo. And we've got the big pleasure to have with us once again, Father Nicholas Crow OP coming from Oxford. And he's just about to resume his second part of his sixth part of his series on responding to God's call. So, Father, once again, I'll hand over the airwaves to you and our dear listeners for the second instalment. Thank you very much. So, we just before we, we broke for the music, we, we introduced this idea that the gifts infused into our soul by God, infused virtues, gifts of the Spirit, enable us to give us the power to always do what is right. We'll never be tempted beyond our ability to endure, as St. Paul puts it. At this point, we have to face a really obvious objection. It's manifestly obvious that not all Christians are good people. And further, even if we restrict the discussion to those who have been acknowledged as saints, it seems that sanctity does not necessarily imply wisdom, truthfulness, goodness in every way, every aspect of life, as I have suggested. The sad truth is, and this is difficult, I think, sometimes for us Catholics to to accept, but the sad truth is that saints make mistakes, and sometimes terrible mistakes. Sometimes it seems that these mistakes are at least some extent are at least to some extent culpable. So how is this possible if a saint possesses, through grace, infused principles, theological virtues, gifts of the Holy Spirit, now even infused moral virtues, according to St. Thomas? How is it possible for saints to get it so wrong sometimes, Um, even with all this help and support from God. Now, St. Thomas responds to this kind of question by making a distinction, a classic um, strategy of St. Thomas whenever he's exploring a question deeply, he makes distinctions. And he specifies that the infused moral virtues, 
So these this help that God gives us, especially in those areas of our life where perhaps because of our sins in the past, we have unhealthy inclinations. The help that God gives us is, is limited to those things that are necessary for salvation. We're not required then to believe that saints are infallible or expert in every aspect of human life. Indeed, it's all too obvious that in certain domains, the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the children of light, as our Lord says in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. A person or a saint can be wise when it comes to the things of heaven and yet still make mistakes when it comes to the more natural wisdom of the things of this world. So um, to give you um, a, a concrete example of that, St. Thomas uses the example of temperance here, the virtue of temperance, to um, illustrate this point. St. Thomas thinks that the natural virtue of temperance, the, the virtue of temperance that we acquire um, through practice as human beings, is the virtue of using food well. So a person who is temperate when it comes to food eats, um, eats or uses food and drink in a manner that is good for their health. He thinks someone who's blessed with infused temperance, so this gift infused to our soul by grace, will have within them a principle that enables them to resist gluttony at one extreme or um, perhaps um, an unhealthy rejection of food at the other extreme and assist them with things like fasting. Okay, so um, the saint then will be good at using food from a heavenly perspective but it doesn't necessarily imply that if you want advice on the best way to lose weight or the best diet to you know, aid your, your physical training, that you should talk to a saint. The, the knowledge that a saint has through infused grace is related to the salvation of souls. It's not necessarily related to, to human flourishing in every aspect. We can be wise then when it comes to things of heaven and yet still make mistakes when it comes to the natural wisdom of this world. This does not deal with another objection. Even when it comes to those things that are necessary for salvation, Christians, sometimes even saints, do not always perform these acts with the ease, promptness, and joy that is characteristic of virtue. It's often said that saints are not sad, that where people are holy, they delight in the life of grace. They delight in the life of the Spirit. They enjoy loving God and loving neighbour. The life of charity for them is not um, painful, it's joyful. Saints are not sad. And yet, sometimes, um, 
people on the way to holiness do find doing good difficult. Sometimes doing good really feels like a crucifixion. Think about Christ praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, take this cup away from me. So if the uh, infused virtues give us these internal principles that help us to live the life of heaven here on earth, why is that so painful? Why aren't we experiencing the joy of heaven here on earth? When we perform acts of charity, why is it sometimes so hard? Now, this time, St. Thomas replies with an analogy um, that he, he borrows from um, the intellectual life. So he points out that someone might know a lot about mathematics, for example. And in ordinary circumstances, they might um, really enjoy doing mathematics. But at this particular moment, because they're really tired, they might have difficulty remembering what they know. And a particular maths problem might be actually quite painful for them to sit down and solve, right? So their fatigue is inhibiting the exercise of their um, ability to do maths. So something similar um, is happening with Christ in the um, Garden of Gethsemane. His, his, his pain at the prospect of, of the cross, this ultimate act of love, is analogous to just physical tiredness. It's not sinful, it's just um, the natural factors that are um, kind of making, stopping him experiencing a, an essential joy, an emotional joy at doing what is right in being obedient to the will of God. Now, um, St. Thomas extends that principle to um, the legacy of our past sins or the impact of other people's sins on us. So according to St. Thomas, a person may at the same time experience an attraction, an enjoyment in what, in what is ground of, the, of their infused virtues and gifts given to us by the Spirit. But at the same time, they might also feel a kind of revulsion to the things of God and an attraction to things that are wrong through the legacy of their past sins or the sins of other people. So a Christian who's still on the way in their spiritual journey with Christ may often find themselves in a battle, as St. Paul puts it, between the spirit and the flesh. Indeed, in this struggle, in St. Thomas's view, it's not possible in this life to completely expunge unruly passions because they are the legacy of original sin in us. Instead, St. Thomas argues, by growing in both infused virtue and acquired virtue, we can begin to experience an inner harmony which makes it easier to do 
the right thing. Now, I think the whole area of this relationship between the infused virtues and our acquired dispositions through our nature, our nurture, uh, and our past choices is a, is a really fascinating one for our spiritual life. Um, but we, we don't really have time to go into it in detail. So I just want to, to give you one illustration of what, um, of what I mean to ponder. And then I'm going to conclude this talk after the break by um, showing how I think this fits into the question of vocational discernment. And this is going to be a spoiler. Um, so if you're planning to read Graham Greene's The Power and the Glory anytime soon, you, you better stop listening now, to be honest. But um, at the end of that book, see, this is a spoiler. An eyewitness, the end of the novel, an eyewitness describes the pitiful scene of a priest trying to walk to his execution by firing squad, but just not being able to because of his fear, simply being unable to move his legs because he's so terrified, so that he's half dragged by the soldiers to his death. Now, this priest we know in the book is an alcoholic. He's fathered a child. In many respects, he's a terrible priest, lazy, self-indulgent and sinful. And yet, when every other priest ran away in the persecution, it's this one alcoholic priest that stayed and did his duty. And so this one alcoholic priest is now dying as a martyr. Now, Graham Greene's point is that this whiskey priest is an immensely courageous man. But it's infused courage from God. He never acquired the natural virtue of courage because he lived a self-indulgent life. But nevertheless, he did love God. And because he loved God, when push came to shove, he did the right thing. He served as a faithful priest. But it, it wasn't easy for him. And it wasn't easy or joyful for him because of the legacy of his self-indulgence. The legacy of his overindulgence over in drink, in sex, in all these, um, in money. These laziness and self-indulgence with his spiritual life created in him all these unhealthy desires, which meant that doing the right thing was always painful and difficult for him. And when it came to the last, he just, on a natural level, didn't have the courage to conquer his fear. When it came to the last, he was overwhelmed by his fear on a natural level, although the infused virtue of courage stopped him running away and enabled him in the end to die a martyr. The point is that the whiskey priest never acquired virtue. And this meant that the act of infused courage needed for martyrdom was more difficult and more 
painful. I'm making the same point now when it comes to vocational choices. God gives us everything we need to do the right thing. But the legacy of our bad choices in the past and other, the impact that other people's bad choices have had on us can make following Christ more difficult and more painful. And so if we want to develop really deep and rich soil, the kind that leads to an openness to God's word and therefore an openness to God's call, one of the ways that we can make it easier for ourselves is by attempting to wrestle with the unhealthy dispositions that can make it harder for us to turn to God and follow him. So we're going to have uh, another pause now for some music. Yeah, that's fast, fascinating talk there. There's so much to unpack. After the break. Because the fascinating talk there, um, so much to unpack and uh, so many interesting points to uh, to pick out. But if you'd like to join the conversation, it's 01223 375564. Come and give us a call and ask Father Nicholas directly, live on air, any questions you may have. And in the meantime, we've got another song by the Hillbilly Thomas, and this is Hard Times. around my cabin door. Oh, hard times come again no more. Let us pause in life's pleasure, drown our many tears while we also sorrow with the poor There's a song that will linger forever in our ears Oh, hard times come again no more It's the song the sigh of the weary Hard times hard times Come again no more Many days you have lingered Around my cabin door Oh, hard times Come again no more Oh, there. 
harmonies there from the hillbilly thomas and that was hard times you've been listening to radio maria and more specifically credo and this afternoon we've had the great privilege of having once again for the sixth time father nicholas crow who's been dialing in from oxford and continuing his series on responding to god's call and father is it okay if i um interject a little bit sure go for okay, it okay so um, I've been listening to the talk and you've been underlining the, the importance of infused uh, virtues and acquired virtues. So infused being sort of innate born, is that right? Infused comes to us from God. Right. But are we in the sense of that we're naturally born with those virtuous inclinations more than maybe someone else? Or they might have more another virtue in another field, so to speak? Or No, so they, they mean um, when you're baptised... God, something, something. Baptism isn't just um, a, a ritual. Mm-hmm. You know, that actually, when we're baptized, something happens in our souls. And what happens is that God infuses into our souls certain principles: um, faith, hope, and love. Gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then, according to Saint Thomas Aquinas, not every Catholic theologian thinks that, but according to Saint Thomas. Infused versions of prudence, justice, temperance, and courage. At baptism. At baptism, yeah. Okay. And and we we lose these gifts if we if we sin seriously, mortal sin. But they're restored again um, when we go to confession. Oh, and uh, I think sometimes people can feel that in themselves that um, uh, if they you know. <laughs> If they don't, it, it, once you've sinned once, it's easier to keep going. <laughs> um, okay, actually, yeah. the, um, the, the, there is a real, I think we can actually, if you, you think about your spiritual life, you can you can actually notice the, the helps that God is giving through through these infused gifts and principles that are that are within us. Okay. Um, but what I've been trying to do in this talk is, is draw out how these infused principles 
relate to the natural principles um, of our of our um, moral life. And so some of those natural principles are um, created in us by God. They're written into our nature. So we, we talked about these um, two weeks ago, this natural inclination that we have to truth. Okay. This, this natural inclination that we have to goodness. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how they were, um, these things were conditioned by our nurture and how these things were then conditioned by what we've made of ourselves through our past choices. What, what I wanted to show you today is that um, the, in addition, we need to think of what God does in us. And actually, what God does in us is even more important because it transforms the whole thing, transforms our whole, uh, our whole life, that once God infuses these principles in us, um, the story changes. And so everything that's come before it is now transformed uh, and, and reordered by, by the grace of God. But we can ex- still experience a tension if we've acquired unhealthy dispositions. Mm-hmm. And it's this tension between um, the life that we are moved to live from within by the grace of God and these kind of the hangover of bad choices, our own or other people's in the past that creates that tension between what Paul calls the law of the spirit and the law of the flesh. Okay. Um, And my suggestion um, is that when it comes to um, promoting vocations, so, um, you know, for myself or maybe um, in my parish, my children, is that we help people to be responsive to God's call by helping them to be free from the kinds of things that might distract them and lead them, make it harder for them to say yes to God. Mm-hmm. So my closing thought to you really was you think about the rich young man in uh, Matthew's gospel. Our Lord said to him, come follow me. Like he received his vocation from the lips of Jesus himself. Right. But he didn't say yes. And he didn't say yes because he loved money. And that love of money in him created this obstacle in his heart, which although he wanted to say yes to Jesus, he couldn't because the, the, the hold on money on him was too, was too strong. Mm-hmm. And I think if we want to nurture vocations, we, one way that that rich young man could have been helped is if he, he himself or his community with him had helped him to be free from that love of money. Right. If, if he could have had a freedom from that love of money, I suspect he would have been able to say yes to Jesus and he wouldn't have gone away sad. He'd have had the joy of living his vocation. There you go. Great story from the Gospels, which is uh, more than applicable for our modern times as well, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, look, we've got a couple of minutes left, Father. Would you like to add anything else, or perhaps close with a prayer? What What would you like? Let's close with a prayer. Okay. So, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord God, we thank you for the gifts that you've given us. Your wonderful generosity, 
in strengthening us and supporting us to walk in your ways. We pray for freedom where there are aspects of our heart that are still in rebellion against you, still bound by unhealthy attractions and addictions. We pray especially at this time for freedom for all young men and women who are considering their call, be it to marriage, the consecrated life, the priesthood, that they may know interior freedom and so have a heart free of any obstacle to God's word, that they may truly respond to their deepest desires and say yes to God. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you once more, Father. Thank you.